Welcome to TalkScript, a superset of a podcast about JavaScript. The presenting sponsor of TalkScript is SitePen, a JavaScript consultancy helping companies improve their apps, tools, and teams. Check it out at sitepen.com. Let's find out if TalkScript is your type of podcast. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the TalkScript podcast. I am your host, Brian Forbes. I'm here with my three co-hosts at an undisclosed location. I can't tell you where. So, We've gotten together to celebrate the holidays. It's always a special time of the year. We want to talk about what we're grateful for. I mean, you know, this is this is the time of year that we reflect before the new year starts. And so we want to reflect on this last year and, and things that we, we've discovered and, and new things coming out and, and stuff that we're grateful for. So I'm going to go first. The thing that I want to start out being grateful for is Hugo. So I, for the longest time, have run my own website. I I used WordPress. I started out with Nucleus back in 2000, whatever, switched to WordPress, and I've maintained a WordPress website through all of the various versions. I think I started out on one, one point something or other. You know, that includes a MySQL database and Nginx and security and all that good stuff, right? The whole shebang. The whole shebang. But I recently got on the the static site uh, generation bandwagon. And so I'm now using Hugo to generate my site. I don't have to run PHP and connect, you know, have that the FPM process running on my Linode. Nobody should have to run PHP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will heartily agree to that. So Hugo's a, a you know static site generator. It's written in Go. It's really simple to get up and going. I didn't have to write a line of code. I just chose a theme, and uh, there was a converter for WordPress. I had to do a little bit of massaging of of the posts. Yeah, if you go to go to my website, we'll put a link in the in the show notes. That's all static. There's no dynamic stuff going on there. Were your posts already written in Markdown with WordPress? No, no. So they they all got the the converter converted like took it and back converted it to Markdown, mm. and then it actually took some of the the WordPress metadata and injected it as front matter or on the Markdown pages. So it was pretty slick. You know, I had to do some set and awk to get some of the stuff. It didn't convert the Unicode smart quotes to apostrophes. So I went through and converted those all back to apostrophes and, and double apostrophes or quote marks, right? That's awkward. Awkward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, what you said. Oh, <laughs> man. That was terrible. So it was it was an interesting, I think it took me a weekend to do. I'd been kind of wanting to do that for a while. So I have less running on my line notice. It's, it's great. Do you have backend stuff that runs or is it all separate or how did you manage all all of any API stuff, basically. What do you mean API? So like, I don't have an API that I have to... I don't know. Somebody wants to sign your guest book. Where does it go? <laughs> I, don't, I don't have it. Oh, well, okay. So so like, I don't have a guest book, but like, so I had a comment. I had WordPress comments. And so I switched that over to Discus or Discuss, whatever, however you want to pronounce that. 
So I've got my comments now as I'm just going to call it discus because I think it looks like discus. Let's discuss. It's discuss. Dang it. Okay. I've been pronouncing it wrong this whole time. So I switched it over to discuss and there's a little bit of JavaScript on the bottom of the page that it doesn't load discuss right away. You have to have click a button. So it's super fast. I think that keeps the internet safe. That's a good option. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I did a little bit of research on on how best to do that, and that seemed like the best option. But the fun part was I don't have to worry about old browsers because I don't – sorry if you're using an old browser. I don't care. So I'm using modules and modern JavaScript in my page. It's quite nice. What on a static page is a JavaScript module? The little stuff to load to load the discuss comment dynamically. There's a little JavaScript to, that hooks up to the button. Gotcha. And it just loads the script, the discuss script on the page with the correct parameters for that page. That's a good feature because if they don't have the latest browser, you don't want to hear from them, right? Basically, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But the the cool thing was when I, when I changed all my stuff over with Hugo, one of the neat things, I, I've got a whole bunch of old Dojo demos. All of those still work in newer browsers. Like there was one for using local modules with cross-domain modules. And then there was one about monkey patching. All of those demos still work. So like all this code that I wrote, you know, years and years ago, it all it all just surprisingly still, not, not really surprisingly, but it all just still works. It's pretty cool. Were those folder hosted or were those embedded in your posts somehow? There, uh, uh, how do I even explain this? So there's a static folder for Hugo, and that's just copied verbatim into the output. And so I just put my demos in that static folder. And then it's just like, it's all weaved together. So you've got your content folder and your static folder, and then there's an assets folder as well. The stuff in the assets folder can get minified and all that stuff. And then it's just all interleaved together in the output. I'm impressed how smoothly that migrated over it sounds like it went really really nicely it really did i didn't have to do a whole i mean the biggest thing for me was was picking a theme and then actually worrying about the content i didn't have to worry like i didn't didn't have to write a line of code to do any of it so for me that was that was key i didn't want to spend the time writing a blog (laughs) like writing like a blog system that's cool i'll go next because mine's kind of in the same vein i'm thankful for 11d which is also a static side generator and Brian and I were kind of discussing this at the same time, and we were, we were both kind of talking about updating our sites, respectively, and I chose 11D because I wanted to use something that was pure JavaScript, not Go or PHP or Ruby or whatever, just pure JavaScript. And from where I was coming from, which was a homegrown Gulp script, I wanted something that would play well with what I have right now, which is all you know, markdown files that are kind of in the same format with front matter that kind of tells everything and JSON files as, as like metadata for each post, if I need it. And it was pretty seamless to move over to 11D. And I really like that. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty cool site generator that lets you use any kind of, uh, well, it has a lot of templates that you can use. So you can use uh, liquid templates or handlebars or whatever. I'm using Nunjux for mine. And it's pretty slick, pretty fast. doesn't have any JavaScript by default on what it exports. So you have to bring your own JavaScript, which mine has zero of currently. And so I'm hoping that for myself and for Brian, we can get some new posts up on our websites that aren't from 2011 or 2015, respectively. (laughs) 
Right. <laughs> yeah, my last post was 2011. I've got one in draft right now that's sitting on my, but yeah, okay. <laughs> it sounds like you had some sort of like static-ish type thing going on already. Yeah. Yeah. I have a mega version to PHP and, and WordPress, so I, I didn't have that. I've played with that in the past and it, yeah, I wanted something that was just pure markdown, something that's really easy to to write and update because I, I really, that's like, I need to remove all friction if I'm ever going to blog. And clearly I haven't removed all of it since 2015. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say though, uh, just based on your, your discus comments and using that, I just wanted to tell you how my very first website added comments back when I was in college. It was running in PHP and... I didn't know how to use databases or anything like that back then. And so I had this homegrown thing that was a PHP file. And if you wanted to add comments, the PHP file would rewrite its, it would append the comment to oh, itself, no. to oh, that no. file and write it. Oh, <laughs> oh Nick, Nick. And of course awesome. this website was running on like a massive hosting <laughs> file where 2000 other people were, right? It was, it was on Dreamhost. <laughs> there you go. That's ingenious. <laughs> I love it. Totally secure. The web was more secure back then. <laughs> totally secure. Definitely. Like, yeah. The web was more secure. For sure. Wow, you'd be in trouble if two people tried to write to the same file <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. Right. When would that ever happen? Well, if he gets really popular. <laughs> I know, College right? blog website. Yeah. Paul, is there anything you're grateful for? I'm grateful for you guys. No, I am. Aww. Our listeners. Yeah, I am. I am grateful for community. But the thing I've been playing around with most on the technology side is I've been doing a lot of stuff with VR. And A-Frame and all the GPU libraries have made that really doable. Because without them, I think all the differences and all the, the browsers would become impossible really quick. I mean, over the last year... We've went from web VR to kind of hobbling along with a web XR standard. There's a bunch of different targets coming up for how to render with your your GPU. So there's like WebGL now that's on like WebGL one, but some browsers, you know, not Safari, support WebGL two, and then WebGPU is coming up as like a new standard that that supports like modern rendering stuff. So. I've been leaning pretty heavily on like A-Frame and 3 and all of those things and, and just frameworks and libraries in general to be able to to make stuff now that can target a browser or target most browsers without having to know the deep down gory details and going back to the old days of like polyfills and ponyfills and just terrible dealing with it stuff. So yeah, I'm pretty happy for that. We need to pay our authors somehow, like our open source <laughs> authors. Hopefully in the next year, we'll, we'll get that down. Is that what we're, we're thankful for GitHub adding bug bounties or whatever it was that they're working on? Well, there's a bunch of places adding those those things. You know, NPM is looking at stuff. There's what, Open Collective, I think. You know, there's a lot of places. We just kind of got to find a funding model, I think. I mean, people are putting out stuff that's used by businesses. So why, why can't they get funded? Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, I'll move on to mine. On one of the projects we were working on, I had a function and I wanted someone to be able to pass a valid string value to that function. And the issue I was running into is that the value that they might pass was one of the 
object values on kind of a, a system-wide shared object. And I, I'm good with TypeScript, I think. Uh, I like these kind of problems. And I couldn't figure out how to make it so that I could find a, a type that was derived from the values of that object. Uh, and I was racking my brain, racking my brain. I could get the best thing I could get it to do was to tell me that it accepted a string, just a generic string. And I was like, oh, well, I bet you this is a runtime problem. And uh, I was like, well, what can I do to make it so that this object isn't considered to be a runtime object, but a compile time object? And then I remembered that I can do as const at the end of a object definition, uh, which makes it read only, which makes it so that the compiler considers it to be final, which means the compiler, instead of just saying any string, it gives me a combination of all valid string types. So I'm thankful for as const. And that's because it's knowable when it returns, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's like the, whenever I'm problem solving TypeScript, I think it's always, it's the turning it off and on again of TypeScript, which is, <laughs> could it possibly be that you're trying to derive something from a runtime property? And they're like, oh yeah, that's what I'm doing. And then that's how you fix it. But as const is a, a lifesaver for that kind of stuff. That seems pretty, pretty useful. And like, I mean, they're going to be adding specific properties. Now I'm trying to figure out if I can use it in my projects. Yeah, do it. Just use it everywhere. You can always delete it. (laughs) (laughs) Use it everywhere. All right. So for me, Neil just mentioned something being a lifesaver. For me, a lifesaver would be uh, Netlify. During, back to my, my static site foray, Netlify is where I'm hosting my static site. I'm surprised none of you guys asked me that. It's almost like you knew I was going to bring this up. I think you mentioned Linode on your in your other one. I did. I did mention Linode. I am very grateful for Linode, uh, Linode because they have hosted my site for a long time. They still host my site, and uh, I have a bot that a Discord bot that I run there as well. But for my blog site, I have uh, I have it running on Netlify, which was interesting. I had them do some stuff with my domain and that didn't quite work because I still wanted my MX records and I'm running some subdomains. And so I had to do a whole bunch of back and forth with my domain. So that actually took more than a couple of days getting that all set and doing HTTPS first. But Netlify is hosting my site. They run the build for me. I've got a GitHub action. No. Is it a GitHub action? I forget what I have. No, it's not a GitHub action. It's just a Netlify, Netlify watches my repo. And then when I push to it, it runs a build for me. And as soon as it's done, it switches their internal records over to that new subdomain with the hash. And it's atomic. It's super nice. And Phil Hawksworth turned me on to Netlify. He works at Netlify. I've been kind of skeptical of the whole serverless architecture thing. And I don't know if I would say I'm a proponent, but it's definitely, it has its uses. They've got scripts for Hugo and 11 and all these things. So with my homegrown gulp blog that it was before, it just worked on Netlify, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So I may have to write up a blog post, my first in 11 years, no, not 11, <laughs> nine, 11 nine years. years. <laughs> eight 2011 i forget which what year i my last one was but yeah i'll have to write up a blog post on on how i did that it was really simple so grateful for netlify all right i'll go next i am grateful for 
coc.nvim, and that's the conqueror of completion. And it's really brought Vim and, well, specifically NeoVim, really, I think, to parity with, with the Visual Studio Code in terms of TypeScript development, or probably any development with, with a language that, that has an LSP. But for me, that's TypeScript. And it's it's just so nice being able to go to references, see where everything is used, like all of the references to it, autocomplete everything, and tell me things that, that aren't used or are like, like give me all of the errors or compiler warnings right in Vim. I've used other tools in the past. Some of them are great. I really like like a lot of them, but this one is so fast. It works really well. The only downside to it is that it kind of brings its own universe into Vim with its own plugin system and everything. So it's it's kind of a little weird, but it's just so nice to give me all of this modern tooling without slowing down my browser to make it feel like it's running in Electron or something. That was a jab at VS Code. <laughs> <laughs> You've been using it with TypeScript. I've been using it with Python and it's slick. Yeah. It's super slick. It has the same idea as VS Code where you can have user settings and then project settings. Some projects that I work on with Python, they they use Flake and others use different linters, right? Some use MyPy, some don't. I can customize that for every single project that I work on. It's pretty nice. A lot of the plugins are forks of VS Code plugins to make them work with them. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Yeah, the, the Python plugin is actually it pulls down microsoft's python lsp yeah it's pretty slick so nick if your editor is is all in your terminal what do you use your gpu for for my terminal (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) i use a a a terminal emulator called kitty that is like it renders with the gpu so everything is wicked fast and it supports things like ligatures whereas iterm which is what i was using before that's pretty fast but if you want to use ligatures it takes it out of the metal rendering, the GPU rendering, and so it slows things down considerably. So yes, I'm I'm using my GPU to make my terminal fly, and it's amazing. And Nick got me onto ligatures, and so I'm grateful for those. Yeah, pretty soon they're going to add, like, drawing routines to the terminal so that you can have, like, little things pop up over your text. Like, the future is oh, we bright. We have that. We have that. <laughs> <laughs> Our listeners cannot see how big Nick's eyes are right now. <laughs> Tmux 3 just came out, and you can click on a tab at the bottom, and you get a menu. Yeah, the, yeah, they're going to add, like, mouse support, and oh, then, like, multiple mouse support. clicks. <laughs> it's all there. And scrolling. You're trying to make a joke, but it's all there. <laughs> it's all there. They're going to take these different development environments and just integrate them together. <laughs> It'll be an integrated development environment. The only thing that, that's mainly different is if I type Vim, I'm immediately in Vim and can immediately start editing. It's not, let's wait five or six seconds for this editor to boot up, and then let's wait for the color, the syntax highlighting to drop in, and then let's wait for it to realize that it, this is a TypeScript project. Like, it's just boom, go. And I get all of that mouse support and floating windows and everything. It's it's just the way to go. Yeah, take that, Neil. Unless something doesn't work, and then 10 hours later, you've got it fixed, <laughs> and then you're in Vim. <laughs> Yeah, but we we don't need to talk about that. That's a separate topic. I got it. (laughs) We said we weren't going to bring politics into our (laughs) gathering. Oh, messed up. No, no, Vim is amazing. Like what you do with it is super impressive. If you would come over to my house and do the same thing, that'd be great too. (laughs) (laughs) Just download Nick's dot files. 
I imagine that eventually someone's just going to like have it so that there's an app that just has this just working as if it was a normal program. That's right. That's basically what Nix.files are. It's a distro up at this point, I think. You need to make a cask for homebrew with, with, your, with your setup, Nick. It's crossed my mind. Yeah, why don't they just click an icon and then it just launches? <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of developer tools, Paul. Right. Yeah. So I want to say that I am thankful for remote debugging and developer tools. Being able to debug a device that's just attached to my computer rather than having to like debug on the device or download logs mm, and mm-hmm. or do consoles or or anything like that is just amazing. So like Chrome tools for for connecting all those things is is wonderful. I typically use Chrome as my development browser, but I I think Firefox has this as well. So I don't want to I don't want to not throw them out there, but being able to connect to my phone and get console logs or connect to my VR headset and get console logs or whatever else comes across is an amazing thing. And I'm very appreciative for that because otherwise it would be like developing an IE6 without (laughs) Firebug or something. So, yeah. And I love how integrated it is with a node backend as well. You can just click a button and launch the dev tools for your node backend and then develop it or uh, debug it as if it were the front end. It's great. Has it gotten better? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been a long time since I've had to use that. It's gotten better and better. And I'm amazed because I feel like it's not necessarily something that Chrome has to support, but they do. Because it's it's all other browsers and other things that are using it. I guess Android uses it to some extent. So yes, they should support it for that, but they support it for Node. They support it for any of the Chromium browsers, as far as I can tell, like Samsung and whatnot. It's just a great tool. So you can like connect to a node environment and like step through code and stuff like that. Yep. Like in a project I'm working on, there's a, like the backend is all TypeScript. So I get source map support for everything on the backend and I just step through it as if it were TypeScript code on the front end. Really. It's, I mean, it's set breakpoints and it's, it's great. So you just, you just launch it with a, with a flag, right? Yeah. Debug or something. Node dash dash inspect. But we actually have our development server script set up to automatically do that for this project I'm on. So like, there's just a little green button in the Chrome DevTools, and I cr- I press that, and then I'm connected to my backend. So it's just it feels so seamless. Wow, that's that's slick. Yeah, now I needed an excuse to use that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm gonna go look through the bug backlog and just be like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm one. Start a new project. <laughs> Maybe I'll uh, switch to 11D just so I can use it. <laughs> so my thing that I'm really excited about. Like, I think I've mentioned before in previous podcasts that I like to uh, mess around with running things on web pages. <laughs> Neil's a hacker. I'm a hacker. My classic always get the reservation I want at Disney World discussion that we've had before. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I'm really excited about is, is top level 08, which you wouldn't think that you'd use very much, but like, especially when you're doing things like running fetch, which returns a promise. Uh, on the main page, being able to just say like, I want to just wait for you to finish and then run the next line of my code instead of having to wrap, like, especially with the console. Uh, like that's where I'm really excited about it the most being able to just type a wait, run a command and then have your next line run after that of a multi-part sequence that you, you've just put in is really, really nice. So I'm really pumped about being able to do top level of wait. And that's stage three, right? Stage three. Yeah. 
But I think a lot a lot of people have implemented it. I think Node might have top level await now. Yeah, Firefox too. Mm-hmm. So it's just like being able to just start open up. You know, the last episode where you guys were talking about kind of time to kick off your passion project, right? I feel like top level await is just another one of those little nice things that that we're seeing that makes it so that you can just open a file, open your browser, start typing stuff, and not have to wrap your head around the nuances of, of what you're planning to do. Yeah, it's really cool. I wonder if it's going to change, like, there's going to be some problems potentially with it, with, with performance potentially, right? Because I could have an await statement be the first thing in my file and then a whole bunch of imports. And now all of those imports are delayed until after await has run. And I'm, I'm just wondering, like, other repercussions that that might have. Well, I assume it works like a promise, right? So other scripts would probably run at that point just like they would with a promise and then everything below it comes like then you wouldn't be guaranteed that that no everything after it has to wait until it's ready are you sure because if you just had a promise with a then statement it wouldn't if you have an await inside of an async function then you're fine otherwise it's going to block everything that runs after it but then like one cool thing with with coc and i assume vs code is like there's there's a shortcut to run to auto organize imports and is that going to be smart enough to know that I, I actually want this await to happen before imports in some cases, or like it has to, the tools has to get, have to get smarter to understand that. Yeah. Cause, cause anything that comes after the await, Paul is, is like it's nested in the then. Right. The question then is if it's at the top level, if it's used in a script tag, would it wait to load the next, next script or would it just say, Hey, I'm the rest of this below is in a, a considered in a then block. So I'm going to go ahead and load the next script because otherwise you end up with like essentially an async fetch or a synchronous fetch, which has been banned. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I, I think that it might only be allowed in script type module. So, but even still that, that gives you a waterfall. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I would imagine that, that there's like, if it's just like an import thing, right. And you're not waiting on the, the stuff coming out of the module, I would imagine that, that, eventually if they haven't already eventually it would the interpreter would be smart enough to not wait on that i don't know man oh you mean if there's an export at some point and you have a top level await yeah maybe i'm trying to think how to describe this but like if you've got a top level await and then for that module if you import that module without using any of the exports then potentially it could go on if you didn't modify any globals I think we just discovered why this is a separate proposal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, it gets hairy, I would imagine. Top level await is wonderful in the console, though. I don't know how many times, like, I've done, written some code, even a fetch, or used some API from some loaded JavaScript, and it returns a promise, and then await space dollar sign underscore saves me. So it just runs that promise within await and then gives me the return value. Yeah, you don't have to do uh, dot then, you know, a fat arrow window dot a equals a. <laughs> Hoisting the result out of a promise is not fun. <laughs> no, it's not. Like I just want, I just want access to what you're holding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So on top of that, since I like console so much, and since you like hacking Disneyland so much, Neil, yep. <laughs> you're probably happy to know that. Well, Disney World's Disney World's the bigger problem. Disneyland is fairly easy to get reservations for. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. To save us from all the listener mail we're going to get. 
<laughs> you let me know when that comes in. Um, <laughs> we just haven't given you the password of the to the email account, Paul. I can't believe Paul said that Disneyland oh. had hard to get reservations. I'm not in the cool kids club. <laughs> That's okay. But yeah, so at least now constant let are becoming reassignable on the console. So as you write your your hacker code on Disney World sites, you can you don't get stuck by having to like copy and paste a different variable name in order to get your const variables to work again. That has been such a pain. It's one of those things that just makes you angry where you're like, you should know better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, don't like, do that. <laughs> so essentially it just it treats in the console, it treats constant let top level as as a var. The reassignable, yeah. I don't know if they're scoped to global, which is kind of what a var in the console would do, but yeah. Yeah, no, but 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 I'm just saying, like, you can reassign, yeah. You'd think that the constant only applies to, like, if you're putting in, like, a multi-line statement, right? That's what I always thought. In a closure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, you, but, like, you run it, and then you run it, like, an, you run it later on, you do it again, and it's like, nope. Like, <laughs> Can't reassign, and then you gotta reload the page. <laughs> <laughs> Which means that you might not get the reservation. Exactly, you might be in, in serious trouble at that point. Well, he still has six other pages running the same code, so he's probably mm, fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's basically a DDoS in six in six tabs. Exactly. That's really cool and really useful because I yeah I've definitely pasted in code with like constant it and it then I can't do it again and I have to refresh. That's no fun. I want him to take it one step further though. I want them to if I paste in code with types, I just want them to ignore the types. Like if I pasted in a function that has all of the the type definition or type annotations, just ignore them. Don't you have to have a TypeScript compiler, like or at least parser in there to, to do that? Probably. <laughs> you would just have to ignore certain syntax. You would think that your Vim code would have a copy and paste function that does that for you, though. Exactly. You could probably write one, Nick. Yeah, that's interesting. Post, post-yank post <laughs> or pre-yank, something like that. Yeah. For those who aren't Vim connoisseurs, yank is is copy. So I'm not just saying a weird word for the heck of it. But that's the other the other friction that I get is I want to like take a function and just run it locally, like in the console. So I paste it in there and then it's like, oh, wait, it has types. It, it won't work. So then I have to go and manually remove all those types and then run it. We should be using Dino. <laughs> Build that into Chrome. <laughs> there you go. I was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Build Dino into Chrome, you cowards. <laughs> Uh, we'll get Alex back on here to tell us why we're wrong. <laughs> Dino is something I'm looking forward to. TypeScript native node is is something that sounds really cool and looks really nice. Bonus thanks. Yeah. Just a couple more things from me that I just thought of. So they're not on our list, so I'm sorry. I got a mechanical keyboard a few uh, a while ago. Super grateful for, for mechanical keyboards. Is that the one you have to crank or... <laughs> <laughs> sort of, sort of. Well, have you yeah. ever wanted to use a keyboard but also sound angry? Yeah. Mechanical keyboard. It's so much work with not a mechanical keyboard. <laughs> All right. The final one. I'm thankful for open source. There's a ton of work out there. I actually just started working on an open source project in my spare time that is for parsing ancient Greek texts to come up with a like a lexicon. And it's all open source. It's super cool. Like the stuff that that people are doing out in the open these days is just amazing. And so I, you know, we're all fans of open source. So I think I speak for all of all of us here that we are grateful for open source and that community 
uh, surrounding all of the the free code and, and that sort of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, anybody participating or supporting open source in any way, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'd say we also are thankful for everybody that's been listening. I know that we had a very, we had a lot of downloads last month. I don't know if you guys checked all the latest figures, but we have a lot of people listening and that's really fun. Kind of like Paul, I don't have the password for that account. I guess that's super secret too. We have dozens, literally dozens. <laughs> literally. <laughs> uh, Our theoretical internet dollars are in the dozens. In the dozens. All right. I say we like talking about this stuff, and I don't think we get a huge outlet to talk about it otherwise. So it's it's fun that people care about what we have to say. Yeah, definitely. Real quick before we go, Halfstack Phoenix is January 17th. Do we know anybody speaking there? Me, Brian. Me. <laughs> oh, Paul? Paul, you're speaking there? What are you going to talk about? So I'm going to talk about VR and kind of where we're at. Web VR and all of those great things. Like, where are we in, in the VR ecosystem? Why it's going to stick? What features does VR and AR have that's irreplaceable otherwise? And what the next five plus years look like? You know, how do we get from here to there, essentially? More Star Wars games, that's how. Something like that, yeah. Something like that. That's the big one that's being advertised right now. Anyway. Oh, yeah, the episode whatever, whatever's. The Darth Vader game. Yep. Yeah, on Oculus Quest. Yep. I have that. It's the first episode. It's quite fun, uh, especially since Darth Vader's giant <laughs> and looming over you. Nice. All right. Well, cool. So again, January 17th, Half Stack Phoenix. Um, if you're in the area, go check it out. And that's all we have. Thanks for listening. And until next time, stay type safe. Thanks for listening to the TalkScript podcast. You can round out your TalkScript experience by viewing our show notes, listening to past episodes, subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, and of course, following us on Twitter at TalkScript. We record new episodes every other week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of TalkScript, a superset of a podcast about JavaScript. We got a good thing going on. Ba, 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 ba. We got a good thing.